This is a Federal News Network podcast. Few people have more experience in the intricacies of federal procurement than Soraya Correa. She's led procurement operations at several Homeland Security component agencies and at headquarters. And she guided the purchasing staff into the age of the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act, FATARA. In all, she spent 40 years in federal service at several agencies. Now she's been inducted as a fellow into the National Academy of Public Administration. Soraya Correa joins me now. Ms. Correa, always a pleasure to talk with you. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. And we're not going to talk about the intricacies of procurement, but I think I know the answer to this first question. But would you tell a son or a daughter or grandchild to, hey, go into federal procurement for a career? I certainly would. I think procurement is an awesome career because it's not just an opportunity to manage the purchasing functions of the federal government and engage in those purchasing functions, but you learn so much about the various programs, the various activities within the federal agencies, and how we serve our customer, our ultimate customer, the taxpayer. And, you know, I'm going to make an analogy. Having been here 15 years and interviewed about 8,000 people, I get asked, don't you ever get tired of it? But the fact is each interview and each individual, even each individual that comes back several times, it's a new situation. I imagine that's how it is with every buy that the government does. That's exactly right. No two buys are exactly the same. The issues, while they may have similarities, you may have similarities in what you're doing and how you're doing it, the issues and the challenges are very different. And of course, the folks you engage with, you know, it's a great diverse group of people. You learn so much about industry, academia, and other federal agencies, because a lot of our agencies actually do work together and share information and projects and products. So you would say then that the continuous learning and the puzzle-solving aspect of it is what sustained you? It did. And it's all in what you want to do, right? I was all about growth and continuous development and understanding. I moved around. I worked with various agencies. You know, I started out with General Services Administration, Public Building Service, went over to Navy, ended up going back to GSA, what is today Federal Acquisition Service, went to NASA, and of course, ultimately ended up at DHS. And then even within DHS, I moved around because I always tell folks, one of the things about a career in government, you can do a lot of different things in a lot of different agencies and work in a lot of different positions and just develop and grow as much as you want to. And what are the most common misconceptions people have about federal procurement? I mean, we've heard even vendors in it sometimes have misconceptions. So I think some of the largest misconceptions is that compliance stalls you. It stops you from getting the job done. I don't agree with that. I think that's all about creativity and innovation, uh, that the process is slow. It's not that the process is slow. It's that the process is lengthy. There are a lot of steps that you have to go through. And sometimes the process is slowed, not because the process in and of itself is slow, it's because people stop it, right? People get stuck in the churning, if you will, of trying to make decisions. You got to make decisions, move forward. And sometimes you're going to make good ones and sometimes not so good ones and you have to go back and fix them. And that's okay. And then, of course, sometimes companies don't like the equitable process of procurement, if you know what I mean, the competition, the fact that you do have to include or you have to consider small business and those things. And people don't understand all those things. And it's that balance of compliance, but also delivering on that mission, because ultimately what procurement is about is about delivering on the mission of the agency that you're serving. And maybe discuss the discretion that you were able to exercise throughout a career. I mean, you innovated several things like reverse industry days and procurement innovation laboratory types of things. Those were all totally within the FAR and within the general law. 
but mm-hmm. yet pretty wide range of trying things. That's exactly it. The federal acquisition regulations doesn't say you have to do it this way. It's not a cookbook. It's not. It really isn't. What the federal acquisition regulations tells you is what the intent and spirit of the law is. And what are the things that you can't do? It is very definitive about certain things, but otherwise it's wide open. So things like how we engage with industry, how we talk to industry, what we talk to them about, pretty open field. It's about ensuring that we comply with things like not giving unfair competitive advantage to a particular vendor, making sure that we're sharing information in a proper manner that provides opportunity for all that are involved in the process. And most importantly, it's about ensuring the integrity of the process, making sure that you're doing the right things for the right reason and not lining your pockets or doing something silly like that. We're speaking with Soraya Correa, recently retired as the Homeland Security Department's Chief Procurement Officer after 40 years of federal service. And let's talk about NAPA. You are a National Academy of Public Administration fellow now. You must have a good idea of what you want to concentrate on there. Any projects in particular? So anything that advances the cause of government, anything that makes sure that we're providing the folks that are in government the opportunity to improve their business processes, to transform business processes, to enhance their capabilities and provide better support, not only to the customers that they serve internally within the federal space, but also externally to the customer. I care about a lot of things, obviously acquisition. I'm very passionate about the acquisition process, procurement, and the acquisition workforce. I care a lot about how we engage, enable, and empower our workforce to get the job done. So I'm looking forward to projects in that vein. And certainly I love technology and how we apply technology to a lot of our business processes. So I'm looking forward to engaging in projects of that nature. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of headroom yet for the application of artificial intelligence, even RPA, in these types of processes so that people can do more thinking and less of that handoff and paperwork and non-discretionary types of activities. That's correct. We think that there's a vast array of things that we can employ artificial intelligence and RPA. But we also have to do that thoughtfully, right? Because we still have to protect the data, the integrity of the data, and make sure that we're using that data properly. And similarly with RPA, we want to make sure that while we use it to take care of those tedious tasks, those tasks that really don't need that human involvement, that we don't forget that that human thinking is also important. And something that occurred towards the end of your tenure in government, and it's kind of a widespread thing. It's not new, but it's like someone planted a bulb 50 years ago, and now all of a sudden there's all these tulips, and that is other transaction authorities. Widespread phenom, growing one. So far, Congress hasn't gotten up its ire over the use of OTAs. Your thoughts on where that's all heading? So I think OTAs are here to stay. People have figured it out. I think what happened with OTAs, it's, it's been out at DOD for quite some time. It came into the civilian space finally, right? And OTAs, there is concern because it is non-FAR-based transactions. And so there is an opportunity there for people to sometimes abuse them. But I think when you set up a proper structure, as we did at DHS, and you have good oversight and controls put into the process, but still leave the flexibility of what that tool enables you to do. Just put some parameters around it and make sure you're checking it, right? Checking yourself, make sure you properly train your people. I think it's a great tool. And I think it's the way we're going to unleash innovation 
across the government. We talk a lot about technology innovation and what we can do and all that good stuff. Well, you know what? You can't do it if it's going to take you six months to a year to award a contract every time. Startups aren't going to wait that long. The innovate, the real innovators aren't going to wait that long. Many years ago, I covered the industrial purchasing function for an industrial magazine. And I remember a man that was the steel buyer. He bought all of the cold-rolled steel for a school bus manufacturer, a big one, Bluebird Body Company, I think it was called. You still see Bluebird brand Mm -hmm. school buses. And he was really enthusiastic about it because I think he thought that he wasn't just buying steel, but he was a major steel buyer in the southeast of the United States producing a really important commodity, which is big yellow school buses on which the nation in some sense rests. So he had a sense of mission. And I guess it's fair to say that that is what is also sustaining to people in federal procurement is NASA, DHS, you name it. The mission is compelling. The mission is compelling. In fact, the folks that worked for me could tell you that the word mission came out of my mouth every single day. They're at DHS. What an enormous mission and the multitude of missions that we serve within the various components and how we come together to protect the homeland. Whether you were at NASA, GSA, Social Security, I used to say this all the time when I spoke to groups and people, and even when I speak to industry, it is all about the mission. Ultimately, that is what we're here to do. Certainly, we need to comply. We need to make sure that we follow all the rules of engagement. And that's the delicate balance that we strike when you work in organizations like the CFO, the chief procurement officer, the chief information officer. We have to balance that, but we can't lose sight of the mission and ultimately the customer that we serve. And finally, what is your secret to sustaining enthusiasm that you so obviously demonstrate? I'm an all-American girl. I love my government. I love my country. I have always been passionate about my profession. I think it's a great profession to be in. I love the people that are in it. And I love the opportunity to make change. I mean, that's probably what drives me is that I never settled for status quo. I always came in with that passion and commitment to make it better, to engage with the folks and figure out how I can make the life of the procurement professional better and ultimately my program managers as well. Soraya Correa recently retired as the Homeland Security Department's Chief Procurement Officer after 40 years of federal service, and she's a recent inductee into the National Academy of Public Service. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. You take care of yourself and look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970 and then 
as you've mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. 
I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.